she not a lesbian for peace, she turned pivian, push pin, push pin. Hello. Hello, and welcome to episode s- not six. It's number eight. Number eight. Last time I said that we had like a low budget podcast. I think it was last time or a few episodes ago. It is still very much low budget, but I made a little investment today and I got a microphone. So if the audio sounds a little bit more crisp, a little bit more clean, um, that's why if you see me acting different, behaving different, it's because I have a microphone for my podcast now and as a tripod, but I'm holding it because it just feels a little bit more official. You're definitely not supposed to hold this. Like it's not a handheld, (laughs) but I'm gonna hold it. I'm gonna hold it, you know? (laughs) Anyway, today we are gonna talk about, I'm gonna hold this thing because the sun just keeps getting in my eyeballs. Like I said, I am pretty sure you're not supposed to hold this thing like this, but I am going to. Today, we're going to talk about my existential crisis, or I don't think I pronounce it right. I pronounce a lot of words funky. Let me back up before we get into the deep, the deep talk. Listen to how I say these words, and I don't do it on purpose. It's just how I've grown up saying these words, and people have brought to my attention that I say them weird. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. There's not really an accent. Although apparently when I went on exchange to Australia, I was there with another exchange student from the United States, but she was from the East Coast. Obviously, she didn't have like a thick East Coast accent though. Like truly, I didn't notice any really diff- – like I didn't notice any difference between her um, voice and mine, but they said they could notice a difference and that we both had different accents. So whatever that means, and I'm sure that's true, and we're just like desensitized to our American accents, but, um, oh, the words <laughs> that I pronounce funky, uh, pillow, like sleeping pillow. I have one actually behind me right now, a pillow. I pronounce it pell, pillow, milk, like a jug of milk. Milk, the type that comes from cows, not milk. Milk is how M-E-L-K is pretty much how I pronounce it. So yeah, that's a good fun light note before we get into the crises. Um, I do want to look up though. Existential. Existential crisis. I say existential. Okay, so it's... (laughs) It's in fact existential crisis. <clears throat> and the definition of that is I'm going to pronounce it again just to practice. An existential crisis, by definition, refers to the ensemble of feelings and questions we have to do with the meaning and purpose of our life. These questions aren't easy to find answers to and can leave us feeling stuck. In one sense, this is what I'm talking about. In another sense, I don't want to say I'm joking when I say that term because I'm not joking, but it's like more of a, 
I had the biggest storm ever and it felt like an existential crisis and so that's why I'm calling it one. I'm not trying to use the term like lightly either because if you listen, (laughs) I think it deserves that title but that's why I'm calling it that. So yeah, anyway and Congratulations to you guys. You're going to be able to read my face. You're going to be able to read my emotions. This is the first podcast episode where we have some video with it. Get to see where I'm sitting. I'm usually on my bed today. I got a little fancy. It was because I wanted to be closer to the window because it's gorge today. Usually I'm in my bed, but I'm at my desk in my room recording this podcast and you get to see me live action doing it and you'll get to read my emotions and see how I how I talk in the mic, how I do this thing behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, let's get into the crises. It's not going to be heavy or inappropriate. I'm going to obviously address it in a respectful manner, but it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Unfortunately for me, it's a lot. So today... We're not going to do highs and lows or not highs and lows. We're not going to do top three. We're just going to jump right in because it's a really long episode. It's a really important episode. It's a really vulnerable episode for me as well. Very vulnerable. Um, Enjoy. Please let me know your thoughts. This is also our first episode with an ad read. Thank you, Spotify for Podcasters. It's like a good little trial. I feel like I did amazing. It's on every episode now. What's up? What's up, guys? With the ad read. Yep. Thank you so much for that. Um, And happily, I love Spotify for podcasters, obviously, or else I wouldn't be on it, (laughs) you know? Um, But anyway, it's the first episode with um, video as well. So you can see me on Spotify in action, podcasting and telling part one of my story of my existential crisis. I like to call it, but it was really just me hitting rock bottom (laughs) with my health and um, entire life. So enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy. Unfortunate news, there will be no video. Um, I'm a little tired and it's just a lot to figure out. I can, I think I can do it. I also may have read something wrong. I don't know. I recorded it all, so maybe I'll put it on YouTube a little later. But yeah, it's just not happening on Spotify. My peace offering for you in that is a song. Um, I could put it in this episode, but it just doesn't fit. It would be a little chaotic, I think, for the beginning of this episode. It might scare some of you away. Um, But it's a beautiful song. It's called The 30th by um, Miss Billie Eilish. And if I had to pick a song to paperclip to this episode, if I could. I couldn't. It's a podcast, you know, but if I could, I would paperclip this one to it. It's a beautiful song. It is. It shakes me to my core. Oh my gosh. I love this song. So that's my uh, peace offering. Let's get into it. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little nervous to talk about this. I am a little nervous, but I'm comfortable talking about it. I actually... Gosh, the sun. Sorry, everybody. Fucking emission. I covered up with this mannequin, baby. <laughs> Did it. The sun. <clears throat> I love the sun, but it was just blinding me. Um, 
I'm a little nervous to talk about this because it's just sensitive to me, not to to me because it happened to me and it's my story. Um, and I haven't really discussed it in public. <laughs> this isn't public. This is on the internet. But I haven't really discussed it in the masses um, at all. <laughs> so yeah, that makes me a little nervy. But I'll be okay. I don't really, I'm like, I'm complaining. It sounds like I'm complaining, but I'm fine. Like I'm nervous, but I'm fine. <laughs> It'll, it's a thing, but I'm good. And it's not going to affect me in any way at all. So yeah, I'm nervous, but we're good. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, let's get into this. I think where I should probably start because I don't really want to leave you guys hanging. I don't want to start too early and have it not really like involve you and <laughs> make no sense as to why I'm telling you what I'm telling you when I am in the timeline of things. I don't want to start too early. I don't want to start too late. So I need to sit and kind of think where did things exactly? And I already can kind of tell, but I want to, want to walk through it before I start getting into it. We need to pinpoint exactly where, and we're going to build from there. That's my plan for the ep, and it'll be kind of like a therapy session, not only for me, but for you too. Like I'll give you hopefully some hope and uh, some wisdom as to what I experienced in my crises. I'm saying that plural because there was not just one. <laughs> there was multiple a crises unfortunately. I say it again, unfortunately. I think where I want to run it back to is August. I truly want to run it all the way back to August and I'm not going to give you a play-by-play -play from August to April. No, that would be called a documentary for fuck's sake. I'm not going to give you a play-by-play -play of all of it, but I personally, from my perception, August is where I started to struggle hard. Um, not hard. Let me back up. August is where the struggling started to happen, but it was so far under the surface, I didn't notice the struggling until the struggling had struggled too hard. <laughs> and oh, I totally didn't set up video for this. You guys are going to have to get a half video in that. Like I said, this is low budget. I'll just throw something random in there. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But it's not going to be me talking in real time because I wasn't recording. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it all started in August. And the reason that I think that to be true is because um, Shopnelly, technically, we didn't go out of business or deactivate our LLC until the end of the calendar year. So technically, we didn't go out of business until December. Um, but in August is when I announced that we were not going to be like launching any new items. We we're going to be kind of clearing our inventory out. I had the conversation with my landlord of getting out of my lease. He was amazing, so graceful and understanding with my situation. And I really had like the most clean and great situation of getting out of that lease. 
scot-free as literally not essentially scot-free because I was honest with him about my situation um, and how I was feeling about my job and the toll it was taking on my physical health. And that was exactly the reason why Shop Nelly was shut down in the first place. Um, so yeah, um, that was amazing. But it was hard to make that decision. Super, super hard to make that decision. And I teetered with it for a while. Um, the first decision was actually to uh, just like rebrand and completely create like a different brand identity and a different um, like concept of like manufacturing and designing and not being a boutique anymore and not wholesaling anymore and like slowly transitioning into that but still being in business and still operating but like kind of taking some time off and easing into this like new system of designing and manufacturing. And if I was in better health and if I had more time, if I would have had more hands too and more resources, um, I think I would have done that. But given where we were at as a business, given where I was at personally and everything else that I had going on outside of Shop Nelly, um, my eating disorder recovery, I had just gotten out of school, um, out of college, like half a year prior to that. And I think sometimes people don't talk enough about the transition out of college and how hard it can be because everyone obviously goes and does different things, Um, hence like having different majors and different careers. Of course, you're supposed to go do different things, but your life completely changes once you graduate from college and it's a big, big jump. It's a big lifestyle change. And I graduated a semester early. And so I finished my degree in three and a half years. With that being said, I'm I'm happy I did that and I'm proud of myself for being able to say that I did that and I took extra, loaded myself up um, my last few semesters of college when we were building out the HQ and when we were opening the HQ to graduate early so that the plan was I'm graduating early so that I can have more time to dedicate towards Shop Nelly. Um, in the spring and summer when it's like a really busy retail months and um, like pop-up season and I won't have to worry about school at all. Like I can finally just be done with school and focus on my business was the moral of graduating early and putting in um, like those extra hours and taking on the extra credits the way that I did and doing school in the summer because I wanted to just power through, be done and put my head down into my business. And I did do that, but um, I had a lot of other stuff going on with the anorexia, obviously. We talk about this every episode. Um, so yeah, I want to kind of cut there. I want to be able to not be jittery and jumpy in this episode. I want to revisit exactly what the heck I said and follow up with you because um, I'm going to ramble. That's how I am. That's just the style of talking that I have. I don't think it's nonsense, but I'm going to ramble. Um, and I just want to make sure that I'm meeting you guys back where I left off because I tend to not. So, so graduating early seemed in my head to be like a perfect situation for what I was doing. And it was like, I'm so, I'm still glad I did it. However, I did not know if, or I never thought about, nor did I ever consider. Ramifications is a pretty aggressive word to use for it because it's it was not like a ramification of it, but graduating before 
my friends and starting to work full time before a lot of my friends, or at least six months before my friends or four months before my friends was really lonely. And January through the end of the semester, so May, when a lot of my other friends were graduating at that point, I struggled hard with like the schedule change, even though for me, like I wasn't even on campus at all uh, in my degree. I was probably on campus 10% of the time of my degree. Um, I was mostly remote and um, didn't really have like a normal college experience. So it wasn't really like my schedule got rocked when I graduated. However, I think just like coming to terms with being done with school for me, I think I'm done for the rest of my life. I don't really see a reason for going back for what I do. <sighs> that may sound bad, <laughs> but I don't right now. My mind may change in the future, but I just simply, I don't like school. Um, <laughs> I don't want to go into debt and um, I think I'm good right now. So um, coming to terms with being done with school forever, like you're literally done with school forever and you are an adult and you have to go get a full-time job and it's like for the rest of your life, you're going to be working and we like work towards our entire life. But then when you get there, you're kind of like, Ooh, no, I'm here. I'm here and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm here and this is scary. I'm here and this is lonely <laughs> is how I was feeling. And to make it even more lonely, um, at that point in time, I was working alone. I had been working alone for mm, not a year at that point because I had worked part-time jobs with Shopnelly even the year prior, but I was probably working alone and only like full-time Shopnelly, just me. I think it was June, maybe June of 2021. And I worked alone every day except for pop-ups or seeing customers come into the HQ. Well, yeah, seeing customers come into the HQ or doing pop-ups and events. I worked alone every day or photo shoots, which was like once every other week or once weekly at one point. But yeah, not a lot. I worked alone every day from June of 2020. I said the year already. You know what I'm saying? 2021. Uh, through, I think I hired or opened positions for the interns that, the internships we hired Mo and Kelsey for, um, in April, but like they didn't start till May. So June of 2021 till May of 2022. And I am, like I said, in the last episode, I can be introverted and I like to have my alone time, but to be alone that much and to work alone and not ever have like communication with people during the day. Um, I would come home and like unload on anybody, not like unload in a bad way, but it's just like I wanted to talk to people so bad because I didn't have anybody to talk to during the day in person because I didn't have coworkers. I didn't have a boss. I didn't have a manager. Like I didn't have a supervisor. I had nothing. I had me, myself, and I and my dog. And that was it. <laughs> so I liked it. Like I really did like doing that, but I didn't realize how big of a toll it took on me and how long that I did it, how much it isolated me and how much that's like not a normal working routine. At least for me, it wasn't normal. Like I grew up working in retail. I grew up working with really big teams in retail and having like really close teams in retail too. 
um, three places in a row. I had really, really great teams um, and really great coworkers. So going from that to working with nobody was, again, really lonely, just like the transition out of college. And it ate at me uh, pretty bad in that first uh, like month or two out of school. And that was when, too, um, I was just starting recovery. And it was the hardest point of recovery is starting. Um, and so, you know, triple whammy in that in itself. Um, but yeah, I was struggling super hard and couldn't really at that point like pinpoint other than the eating disorder exactly what was going on. It's taken obviously some time for me to like sit and I go to therapy. So like talking through it with a professional to understand maybe what was going on or what the root of it was. But yeah, that's kind of where I was going with the last tangent. It's not a tangent. It's important to the story. But that's when I think things started to change for me. Um, my mindset, my uh, emotional state, my mental state, my physical state, um, and just the way that I look at life now is completely different because of this these crises that I went through. Um, but yeah, that's when I'd say the wheels started to move in something and like, I don't know, something was put in the air in August of last year and it all went downhill from there. I'm okay now. It's on the uphill now, but it all went downhill from there. <laughs> Truly. I lied. It was not immediately downhill. Usually <clears throat> there's a high before a low and usually there's a peak before a valley, you know, like it is not always, it doesn't just, well, yeah, it does just sneak up on you, but usually it comes after a really great time. Like a, wow, I'm really enjoying myself or wow, I'm exactly where I need to be. And then life will just, <laughs> you sure? You sure about that one? And rock your shit. It's just how life is. That's why I have my tattoo that... <laughs> is the wave with the fist as the wave. And it says life because it is just how it is. It'll just punch you in the face <laughs> for no reason sometimes. Yeah, it's just life. Um, it is just life. I'm not kidding. It is just life. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it didn't immediately go bad. It actually got really, really good. Um, spring through summer and early fall. I, say we're all really good but internally I was struggling but circumstantially very good um hired Mo and Kelsey them being on board and number one being the people that they were um both of them contagious personalities um both of them incredibly smart enthusiastic both of them really like wore a badge of like honor to be working for shop nelly which as a small business owner and as somebody who started the brand like melted me on the inside because i could tell they really valued working for shop nelly and they really valued working for me too which was a huge um win for me um as a manager and as a business owner because it was the first time i'd hired it was not the first time that I had managed a team. It was the first time I managed a team alone. Um, and I didn't 
like full time or like really dive into management until Shopnelly, but I did do some management in retail prior to Shopnelly. But this time it was like I'd never interviewed. I'd only been the interview like E. <laughs> so I was super nervous interviewing them and I told them like that as well in the interview. I'm like, seriously, this is the first time I've ever been on this side. So like I know you're nervous. Just know I'm just as nervous because it I am also human. <laughs> the people interviewing you are also human. Will, like, towards the end of the interview process, was I getting more comfortable and was I not nervous? Yes. But, like, the first few, it was weird being on the other side and it was nerve-wracking. Nerve-wracking. Whatever the heck it is. <laughs> I don't care. It was nervy. <laughs> it was so nervy. Um, but, yeah. So, hired Moan Kelsey – Number one, it was great because of who they both were individually and who they were as employees and their work ethic and how they worked for um, my brand. But then also because I had never had – like I had had help with Shop Nelly with my family. Like they were always willing to – if I couldn't make it to a pop-up but like we committed to it or I got sick or like, you know, something – Plans always changed. We committed to pop up sometimes a lot of weeks or months in advance. Other times they were last minute and like we really needed that pop up to like make our quarter goal or something like that. And I couldn't be there. They were always willing to step in. They were always willing to drop off orders to the mailbox or USPS or UPS or wherever it needed to go. Like they were always willing to help every single one of them. Same with everybody in my support system at that point in time. Everybody was incredibly helpful. But I never had employees. I never had somebody working for me that like knew the ins and outs of like why I was doing the things I was doing, how to do them. And I didn't have anybody that like if they were going to do work for me, I wouldn't have to like myself put in a ton of work to like organize stuff for them, explain it to them, get them through the process. So like by the time that I trained Mo and Kelsey and they were like on their feet doing what their positions were and we got into a routine, it was so nice to finally have like just work taken off of my shoulders because for the first two full years of Shop Nelly, it was just me wearing every single hat truly because that's what you I mean, a lot of times that's what you do with a small business, especially as small as we were. I was doing our marketing. I was doing our CRM. I was doing our buying. I was doing our graphic design. I was doing our, at one point, photography. I was doing, at one point, our modeling, sourcing our models, sourcing our clothes, <laughs> like creating campaigns, influencer marketing, reaching out to influencers, planning events, planning pop-ups. Like I was doing it all. And so to have two people come at the same time and at the point where I was getting – I was already burnt out and I was done, needed to be done. Um, I didn't know I was going to be done with Shop Nelly at this point, but I just was like, I need a break. I'm not closing my business. It wasn't even an idea at that point in time. Um, but I just was ready to get some help. And I we were in a position where we could hire. We also uh, – for small business owners in Nebraska, got a grant through Intern Nebraska, um, which was an amazing program to be a part of for one of the interns. Um, and that's an amazing program that can uh, give you a grant to have somebody to help uh, with your business and work for your business for a temporary period of time, an internship um, paid. You have to pay them at least minimum wage is the state requirement for them to fund it. Um, and they have to work a certain amount of hours. But yeah, you apply and 
uh, we applied, luckily got it. So um, we got like a two for one. It was amazing. And um, it was the best two for one I could have ever asked for. So like I said, did not immediately go downhill. Interns were great. Mo and Kelsey were great. And then my summer was great. Um, let's talk about my summer and let's talk about some highs before it gets <laughs> immediately so low. <laughs> so incredibly low. My summer was amazing. I loved my summer. Excuse me. Just burped. Loved my summer. I was still running Shopnelly, working for Shopnelly. Excuse me. These Caymans making me burp like crazy on the mic. Seriously. Um, I was still working on Shopnelly, working for Shopnelly. We were still in business in the summer all the way through essentially the end of it. Um, and we had a lot of really fun events. The summer was every summer as I operated Shopnelly was really busy. But this last summer especially was bonkers with the schedule that we had for events. Um, it's just the way that not the fashion industry is, but I'd say like the small business, especially locally is. Um Pop-ups are very, very common. They've gotten very, very common in the last few years and very oversaturated too. There's a freaking event. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there's uh, something to go to. There's something to go to like every weekend, several of them. And it didn't used to be like that. Truly, <laughs> it did not. Um, but it, I'm not saying I think it's just people started businesses in COVID and like it's just more common now and also – I think they're fun to host and fun to have, and they're good for businesses too. I'm not saying anything in negative. There's no negative indu- induendo or innuendo there. I don't freaking know. Um, but they're just oversaturated now. There's a lot of them. Um, and we were in one or two every single weekend of the summer. And um, it made it go by fast, but it was fun. And we had a lot of really fun events at the HQ. That's why one of the reasons why we had the HQ was to host other businesses and to have customers come for like big events like that. So the two big events that we hosted were, um, 4th of July vendor market. So we had it on the weekend before 4th of July or the weekend of 4th of July, not on the 4th of July, um, and had our parking lot full of vendors. Um, Infusion participated because they were our neighbors and did a food truck, um, hosted an Italian Italian food truck, Pomerado. It's one of our good family friends, owns that food truck. It's amazing. They were there. And then we had, like I said, our whole parking lot full of uh, small business friends that I knew that were in the Omaha community from different industries. And then we had our showroom open. So much fun. We themed every single one that we did. Not every single one. We did two, but we themed both of them. We made it such a big deal. And it was so much fun. And both of them were a huge hit, a huge success. And it was literally like the highlight of my summer, both of those events. Um, and then we did 4th of July vendor market, which was also Bean Fest for Infusion. Um, and that is a huge event. Um, where we were at office-wise and where I live right now, actually, where I reside, um, there are so many breweries in walking distance. It's like one of the most – like there's some sort of statistic out there. I don't know it. My parents do. But we have like a ton of breweries around us. I can think of right now – there's one right across the street from us, Cross Strain, one, Infusion, two, Nebraska Brewing Company, three – Oh, 
heights for there's more i'm sure i'm missing but there's like a ton in just a very short radius of mileage anyway breweries are crazy um but people went crazy for bean fest it was like you could not even drive down the street during bean fest so um yeah we did that that was our also like last event announced that we were going out of business last event went crazy went stupid for that it was awesome um yeah and we traveled every summer my family and i we go on a family vacation that vacation was awesome things were looking up uh stopped working on shop nelly moved out of the office i had a lot more time on my hands i was really practicing some self-care i was focusing myself feeling really really great went on a vacation with my um ex and his family to florida um like pompano beach area and that was amazing that was in late summer early fall actually it was in october so um yeah august through september was pretty much the same uh like what i was saying and then went on that trip that was wonderful i was still doing great then but i was starting to struggle a little bit because of like being essentially unemployed for mm, i think it was at that point two months, but I had just accepted the job at UNO. I was just getting stir crazy. I was getting lonely. I was getting um, feeling a little bit starting to feel the mourning process of Shop Nelly at this point, um, but I was doing really good. I was really happy. I was naturally feeling good, naturally happy, energetic, had that zest for life again, um, and that's kind of when it stopped, unfortunately. It was like right after um, Florida, so here we go. Here we go. Buckle, buckle up. Buckle up. It's sad. So let's get into November. November is when I thought I was peaking, but I was in fact November, I thought I was peaking, but I was in fact just pushed out of a plane with a no parachute, but I had no idea. (laughs) Somehow I was asleep. Somehow I was in, let me back up. I was pushed out of a plane (laughs) with no parachute, but somehow at the same time, I was under anesthesia and I was falling really, really slow. And the falling happened for three months. <laughs> yeah. So um, it wasn't like in my face. I didn't notice it or else I would have left the situation right there and then. You know what I'm saying? Or like, you know, assessed the situation right there and then as well. Um, it was one of those, like it's been a – It hasn't been a year since all of these events, but it's been a year of processing this kind of stuff. And do I think it's a little too soon to give some wisdom and insight on the most recent events? Maybe. However, I think I have a strong enough head and I do a really good job. I have really good coping skills. Thank you, therapy, that I can break it down and talk about it right now. But a lot of these events have happened and it's been a year now. Um, But started that job. I thought accepting that job was 
and it still was the correct thing to do. I talked about this in an episode prior. The reason that one of the reasons I accepted that job and the reason I applied for it too was for um, like the stability and also was interested in the position, but the stability of being able to get benefits, have it be a full-time job and to um, going back on the loneliness thing, something that I struggled with in the early months of last year and in this period of time, what I was looking for to fix was having a more like strict schedule um, because I have a personality type where I will work and work and work and work and work and work myself into the ground. And that's actually one of the things that formed my eating disorder was putting my head down into work so hard that I ignored like simply taking care of myself and feeding myself. So it's just unfortunately how I'm wired. It's not really how I'm wired anymore. Naturally, it's how I'm inclined to work, but I've learned how to break those habits. Some days I can still, you know, have a good hardworking moment, but it's not the way that it used to be. Um, But with that being said, um, I had no schedule. So I would work from sunup to sundown or I'd work on a Sunday or I'd work I wouldn't start work until 3 p.m. and then I'd work into the late night, you know, like, and then the next day I'd work nine to five. So there was just like no routine. My weeks felt endless. My months felt endless. It felt like I was literally like in a washing machine because I had no consistency. I was just being spun and in a ton of like chaos and busyness always that like I could not even like the I see right now when I just shook my head too the I think it's is it Spongebob when it's blurry behind him or is it Patrick I gotta put down my mic so I can look this up let's see what it is you know what I'm talking about Patrick no oh it's (laughs) it's Mr. Krabs it's Mr. Krabs and it's Video people, you are so glad about this one. Hold on, I gotta put my mic down again. Gosh, this looks like this. I think I might get a bug or something. Um, but this one. That's what I'm thinking. That's how I was feeling. And I needed some structure. And I knew that this job at UNO was going to offer me structure because it was within the school system and there had to be structure because there's semesters, there's classes, there's organizations, there's deadlines, there's things to need to be met. It was going to be a regular nine to five job, full-time job. There's going to be structure. And I thought that's what I needed. However, structure, in my opinion, and from my perception of the situation, is not what I needed. I had structure. I've always had structure. I've always had a little bit too much structure. So from my perception, I think I was looking for the wrong thing, looking back on it now. Um, You live and you learn. However, um, that career decision, it was a really big change from what I was doing with Shop Nelly, but it still was very much applicable to what I got a degree in and what I was doing at the same time. Like, um, in my previous job, but it was just in a completely different industry, completely different people, completely different types of people. Like it was all completely new, which is good. 
you want newness, you want to learn, you want to have a learning curve, of course-ish in a new job or a new position because you want to continue learning. If you are a good employee, you want to continue to keep learning. And if you're a good human, you want to just, you always want to learn. I said I hate school, but you want to learn. It doesn't have to be in school. Seriously. (laughs) Unless you're a doctor or a nurse or something, please go to school. Um, But yeah, that job just got, it got chaotic. It got chaotic. The schedule got chaotic. It was one of those ones where, um, and I feel like, I mean, this happens. I'm not complaining about this because it just was what it was. And there was the workload was what it was and I couldn't do anything about it and neither could, well, you know, I'm going to stop talking, (laughs) but I would work more than what I was getting compensated for a lot more. And it was starting to become the same kind of pattern that I had at Shopnelli of like, I'm literally always working or I'm literally always stressed about work. And I thought I took this job to not have that and like to have structure and like turn it off after 5 p.m. and just like have an individual, like be an individual outside of my job. But I was still fully engulfed in this. (laughs) And so not only was the schedule an issue, the organization with organization with inside this specific area um, for somebody who is not diagnosed and I'm not diagnosing myself and I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it, but I am very particular. I'm very particular. It drives me crazy. I'm very organized. I'm very type A. I don't think it's fair to be saying things that you are not like OCD. I understand when people get upset about that. <laughs> so that's why I'm not saying it, but that's what I was going to say just so people know and don't think I was going to say something else. Um, I'm very type A. I'm very organized. And so to have number one, like files be disorganized, have systems be disorganized, have everything, my office I moved into, my anything, (laughs) all, everything. Um, It was madness. It was chaos. It was hard for me. It was. It made me very anxious. It put me on edge always. Um, I also, and I'm going to be so polite. I am going to be so polite. Seriously. And it's hard. <laughs> I did not get along very well with my supervisor towards the end. Um I wouldn't have worked there if I didn't think that I clicked with them and I wouldn't have accepted the job if that was the case. And he also actually was the person who uh, coached me. And I'm so thankful for that in the business plan competition when Shop Nelly won. Still very thankful for that. Still very thankful for the position that I was offered and the position that I had there because I learned a lot. I met a lot of awesome people while I was working there. I networked with a lot of awesome people, a lot of awesome businesses. Like it was an amazing opportunity. It simply did not work though because our morals in business and our morals personally simply did not match at all. And there was no way for him to see eye to eye with me. And with the crises that I'm referring to that I'm going to start to get into with what happened to me in November, no, yeah, December, actually, when I got the flu, I, this is the first time, like I said, that I'm ever talking about it in detail because it's so much. This is probably going to be the longest episode I ever have, (laughs) not ever, but the longest one yet, because there was simply no way to explain it to somebody. And also I didn't really owe him 
that. I like took sick days off, but I didn't really owe him the detailed explanation of what was going on. However, he got pulled into it because it was so chaotic. Yeah. And also inserted himself into it. Um, and it just spiraled from there. And amongst other things, um, I decided to quit that, like I said, and I did it. It was not impulse. I had been pretty unhappy for a while. And um, yeah, but I finally one day just decided this is enough. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's so bad that I am simply moving on today. And I've never done that in a job before. I have never, ever, 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 ever done that because I've been a victim of people not putting in two weeks. I have been a victim, but at this point in time, it was so unbearable for me that I could not take it. And I can take a lot. I can take some critiques. I can take some talking back. I can take some smack talk. I can take some, oh, I can take some sarcasm. I can take, I played club basketball where my club coach is now in prison. (laughs) Your girl could take it. I'm not a pansy. I'm not a pansy ass. And I broke. And I walked into the dean's office that day and I said, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. And I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for everything that you've done, but I can't take it anymore. And they understood. And I put in my letter of resignation before I left the building that day. (sighs) Told my supervisor, my boss on the phone as I went home and moved my stuff out the next day out of my office. And that was that. And then it just continued to get horrible from there. But I want to touch on that first because that was like the application process, getting hired, and then obviously all the way through. That position was amazing from hiring until I got the flu. And when I got the flu, and that sounds so minor, it's not minor, by the way, I almost died. (laughs) Yep. Um, That is where the problems with my job started though because there was like question in legitimacy of me working when I was on my deathbed. (laughs) Yeah. So. Anyways, next. Had another, had an outfit change here. I was getting a little uncomfy, but another thing that I was struggling with in my job at that point in time was um, like an imposter syndrome of I don't deserve to be here, which was not true. Um, and it was not like self-inflicted either. I had a lot of confidence going into the job and I knew that I was capable of succeeding in the job, um, and succeeding for the students in the programs and organizations that I was doing work within. Um, it wasn't that, but I had never understood, um, the connotation of, and like what people talked about when they talked about discrimination against women in business. Seriously. And I was only smiling in the video because I couldn't get the word discrimination out. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's not funny. Um, I never understood what that meant because I never experienced it because I was a woman in business. I owned a business. Um, but I was in a predominantly women-based – no, women-based. Uh, it's – majority women who own a boutique or in fashion. Um, I'm not saying it's only women, but it's majority women. And so I never really had the experience of being like, um, I did, of course I did in 
Oop, almost just yeeted my iPad off of my desk. Of course, I had the experience of every so often like with um, looking for spaces, like real estate agents, um, people trying to sell me stuff that like fashion brands, manufacturers. Um, I had situations, customers, male customers that were dads or uncles or grandpas, random strangers walking by our booth. I had experiences like that, but not like inside of the workplace or in like you know what I'm saying? Like what they talk about <laughs> in like corporate America. I had never experienced it until I started working in this job. And it was horrifying. And I felt very objectified um, in this position. I felt like I was not being looked at as what I could do in business or what I could do for the school or for the students. Um, there were people that looked at me and respected me in that way because that's what I was there for. And that's as you should. Um, there were a lot of people and those people know who they are. Um, but there were also a lot of people who did not treat me like that and looked at me as a pretty fashionable dressing to impress people, not to just dress nice and dress for her job, um, in a way that she expresses herself. It was not how she can perform how I can perform in my job, what I can do for the school, what I can do for students. It was about how I looked, um, how I dressed, um, physical appearance. It was never about my skills with a lot of people and with a lot of people that we networked with too. Um, there was a group that we went to every Thursday and oh hell, that was oh, – there were some good people in there but holy fuck, that was like the <laughs> – epiphany or not epiphany that was the freaking peak the peak of sexism and people being douchebaggeries the peak of douchebaggery was in that freaking group oh my gosh i have trauma from that group <laughs> yeah i hated that shit and i can't even talk about what it was i don't think because they'd probably sue me or something i don't know but i'm gonna move on essentially the whole work thing was it was it was unhealthy it was and inappropriate <laughs> at times. Yeah. Not necessarily like one-on-one -on -one with my boss. I'm not saying like he was inappropriate to me. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the job and the position and the things that I experienced in that job in itself were inappropriate and unbearable for me to continue. And so that was really hard, obviously, to experience. And then you add on everything else on top of it. And we're going to get into the everything else on top of it. And at that point in time, it was um, almost losing my life <laughs> and not actually knowing that I almost died until after it happened. So, <laughs> yeah. So we're getting into, I mean, it's maybe it's already juicy for you guys, but to me, this is where the we are backpedaling a little bit, like I said we would. We went through the UNO position and kind of sped through the end of the year, um, but we're going to backpedal again. I was still working for UNO when this happened. It was in December, I believe. The power of having my iPad recording me on video, my laptop recording me talking into my mic, and then I'm going to grab my iPad here <laughs> with my one extra hand. And find exactly what day it was that I went and got tested for influenza A. And 
like I said earlier, that sounds super like light and super like, oh, the flu goes around every year. And like a lot of people have had the flu. (laughs) I've had the flu before. Every time I get the flu, it puts me on my ass. However, last time it didn't almost kill me. (laughs) The flu didn't almost kill me though. The people who were watching my medicines almost killed me. Um, So... Yeah, I'm going to hear really quickly. I'm going to pause this, cut this. We're going to find what day it was because I had a very horrible experience getting tested for the flu as well. And yeah, like I said, this is truly this day um, is really when it started to go stale. <laughs> Stale's a polite word, actually, for this situation. The date is December 6th, 2022. Timestamp is 5.34 p.m. That would be Central Standard Time. I'm going to insert the picture, but lucky Spotify video viewers, you get to feast your eyes to my iPad. It's probably has a lot of freaking fingerprints on it. It's probably disgusting, but this is a picture of, and do not look at my nails. Oh my goodness. Do not look at my nails. They're so bad. So bad. This is the picture. Oh God. Oh my God. You know what? Sakuru this. It's just getting inserted in there, but it's just me with my mask on. Um, cause I was ill, very ill and I was contagious I knew I was because I was running a very high fever. And so I have my mask on and I look like hell. Um, The next picture I will not be inserting into this video because it's blood in case people have a weak stomach. Um, If you have a weak stomach, stop listening. It's not like really bad, but I am going to be talking about um, getting a bloody nose and um, like forcefully (laughs) and it was painful, but if you can handle it, keep listening. If not, um, fast forward and yeah, you'll know if I'm talking about it and I won't talk about it for long. But the next picture after that selfie is also December 6th, 2022, but it is at 5.45 PM and it is a tissue full of blood. Let me back up and say, just like I said a little while ago um, in this episode, I played competitive basketball growing up and very competitive basketball. Like we were trained to throw ourselves on the floor, be scrappy, be physical, be, we were trained to be bullies. Like I said, my coach is in prison. (laughs) We were trained to be bullies is what we were trained to be on the court, which I mean, you have to be, you know, but It was a bit much. Um, But with that being said, I played contact sports my entire life. I've been a physical athlete my entire life. Um, I've gotten bumped, bruised, hit, pushed, smacked, punched, you name it. (laughs) I've gotten elbowed in the nose. I've heard my nose, like the cartilage or whatever, like crack, not a bone crack, but I've had to be hit so hard you can hear it, you know, and feel it. No bloody nose. I've never in my life had a bloody nose until this day. And like I said, I played competitive sports my whole life. I've gotten bonked in the nose too many dang times. And 
I've had basketballs thrown in my face on accident, like during games. And, you know, nobody knows. I know, I'm trying to make a point, but nobody knows <laughs> ever. And this was the first bloody nose. The bloody nose came from um, a very aggressive doctor at, um, I'll say it. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to say it because I can choose later to have stuff to do with this and I don't want to put that at jeopardy, but I'll just tell the story. Um, very forcefully gave me my swab up my nose. Um, and just like, you know, you have to, you have to put it up there far. You have to swab up my nose and air quote, touch my brain, but queen touched my brain. She seriously touched my brain. I winced because it like, it literally broke through some sort of wall to make it bleed, obviously. And I felt it. It was so hard. It was a shove. It was not like a swab and like what people do or quick and pull it out. It was like a shove it up there and take it out. Hence the bleeding. It burned like hell after um, because yeah. Um, and it burned for like days after. I remember saying like literally my sinuses are killing me because of how far she stuck it up my freaking nose. And I had like clots of blood coming out of my nose. And I, like I have said in past episodes, I'm such a people pleaser. I used to be such a people pleaser at this point in time too. This night I was so sick. I wasn't even going to fight her <laughs> and I didn't even know how bad my medical and medical care and situation was going to get. This was the first of many, um, <laughs> but I was like, I'm not going to say anything because, you know, maybe it was an accident, whatever. She didn't know. I just asked for a tissue. I was like, hey, my nose is bleeding. Can I please just have a tissue? Whatever. Left it. Tested positive for influenza A. And she prescribed me Tamiflu and I was very happy because I was in so much pain. This flu, seriously, you guys, was – I could not describe to you how much pain I was in and how uncomfortable I was. I was out of work for – I think I took two sick days and then um, – I'll get into, but yeah, I took two sick days. I rarely take sick days. I rarely have a day where I'm just doing nothing in bed and I couldn't wake up. Like I would fall asleep and I would be out. Like I was not functioning when I had the flu. It was really, really bad. <laughs> so the Tamiflu was a great, great, great thing for me. Um, however, what was not great was, like I said, people not watching the medications that I was being prescribed while I was also being put on Tamiflu <laughs> mixing with mental health medications. <laughs> so <clears throat> still very sick, but have my Tamiflu. Start my Tamiflu. Obviously it takes a few days for it to kick in and like start making you feel better. But, um, I was starting to feel better. Um, I did not, like I said, I did not almost lose my life because of the flu. Um, where the situation went wrong and what ended up with time, I seriously to this day, and this again was only three months ago, I can't tell you. I remember taking two sick days off of work and then I remember getting like so head sick and so like body sick. Um, but it like just getting thrown into it, like almost falling asleep and waking up feeling like it was two weeks later. I don't remember if it was two weeks or a week or a weekend. Like I truly don't know. 
Um, I still don't know. I It is gone from my memory. Um, I don't know how much time had passed, but um, people had noticed that, you know, I was not as – I was uh, not responsive to work emails. I was not responsive to texts from my family, phone calls from my family, friends. Um, I was just like – people were worried because they weren't hearing from me and I also was not acting normal, but I also was sick. So like people kind of knew that, but like people were not hearing from me and therefore everyone was like, is she okay? And um, I kept saying I was okay because I was like, damn, I just have the flu. Like I have the flu and it's a really, really bad case of the flu and I'm so sorry, but like I'm doing everything I can. I'm on and I was saying this to like my supervisor because I was missing a lot of work and I was working while I had the flu, which actually caused a lot of issues in the position because I was working um, actually while I was hallucinating at one point and confused people and actually gave people a ton of leads for free. So congratulations on that, people. <laughs> while I was dying, I gave you free leads. Congratulations. Um and made some weird shit that scared you guys, I guess. Um, but yeah, time passed really quickly. I had no idea how much time had passed, but it had been a while. And I was, like I was saying to my supervisor and my boss, I'm doing everything that I can. I was taking my Tamiflu the way that I was supposed to, um, and the way that it was, you know, uh, described to be taken. Um, I was keeping up with like, I had, I continued to have a fever and I was told by my primary to be switching back and forth from like Tylenol Advil to keep the, um, fever down. And so I was doing that. I had my Tamiflu and then my breathing was really, really bad. Um, when I had this influenza A really, really bad. Um, I could barely talk and I also could barely breathe. I couldn't go upstairs. So I wasn't leaving the apartment. I was literally just staying in our, it was probably, I can't even remember at this point, probably 500 square feet, 600 square feet at most apartment. I was in there for like two, three weeks without leaving because I couldn't go down the stairs or up the stairs without thinking one of my lungs was going to break off like in SpongeBob in the jar or whatever. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Whatever. So I was on, um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking, uh, albuterol with a nebulizer. Um, and I was doing it, you know, nightly. I was doing it three times a day, actually, two or three times a day. And like I was taking care of myself. I was staying hydrated. I was doing everything. But I felt so horrible. I also like was not mentally there. Like I was literally just mush, <laughs> seriously. And I didn't wasn't suspecting anything about like medication. No one suspected anything about medication until recently, actually. Um, but people were worried. And I even remember if you've like how I have posted TikToks or um, reposted TikTok that is about that song in the back with Loki and it says that she saved my life. I, from my perception, and like I said, it could be jaded because I was very ill and dying. Um, yeah, I, she saved my life. She is, is, she is still my dog. Um, but also was, cause I haven't seen her in a few months, 
my emotional support dog and she knew how to read my body and read like my heart rate rising with stress and anxiety. She knew how to comfort me and what to do um, when I was sad, when I was anxious. But then this was the first time I'd ever gotten like really, really sick with Loki being around. And I remember she would not leave my side. She was sleeping by me the entire time. She was sleeping by my feet. If she was not sleeping by my feet or with me in the room, she was like scratching or barking or whining to get into the room. And I remember um, the night I went to the hospital, um, she was ultra clung to me. Um, And so I believe um, she was giving my ex a lot of signals. Um, I think, like communicating, (laughs) Um, like, hey, mom's not doing good. And he knew that too. Um, My family knew that too. But she was also helping, which is crazy. So yeah, that's that. And that was not like the night that um, I remember, um, like I said, sitting on the couch and hallucinating near death. That was not the night and that's not why I went to the hospital. I went to the hospital because it had been a while and I hadn't been getting better and I had just been in bed and in the apartment for weeks and not communicating with people because I couldn't even get up to like get on my phone. Um, And so I believe my parents suggested we should take her to the hospital um, and figure out what's going on. There was also like miscommunication and what they thought was going on with me what Marco thought was going on with me, what everybody thought was going on with me and what was actually going on was that I was dehydrated. (laughs) I got to the hospital and um, all they gave me was uh, IV and I needed it. Like you can die from dehydration too. Um, But that's all that was happening when I went to the hospital is I was dehydrated (laughs) and they gave me a bag of liquid and I went home and recovered and started to go actually right back into work after I got out of the hospital. It was just an ER visit. It wasn't like I was um, put in the hospital. But that visit was a turning point for me um, because it like all started to click there of like, this situation has been really weird of what I've been experiencing with like how I've been feeling, how I've been recovering from this, the treatment that I've received, and also the way that people are like kind of reacting to me being sick and being out of work not being myself because I've been sick and also because I had something horrendous happen inside of my brain and inside of my body. Um, So of course my behavior is going to be different. And it was like um, the minute that my behavior changed, sirens everywhere. Everywhere I went, work, personal, family, friends. It was like a really, 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 really big deal that my behavior had changed. And I understand obviously to an extent where that concern was coming from. Of course I do, especially with the health and everything. Um, But it was also very overwhelming at that point in time because I didn't understand what was going on myself. And I didn't even understand that I, how serious the situation was for me with my health at that point in time. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was just a really messy situation. And then after the hospital visit, I think it was a weekend or maybe like a Thursday and then it was a Friday weekend and then I went back to work. And that's where it starts to get (laughs) dicey. So I go back to work. I'm back at work and I wasn't expecting, um, you know, my supervisor to take it easy on me for coming back and like 
coming back from being sick. But I had over-communicated with him about the situation because it was so bizarre and I was out of work and deathly ill. I over-communicated about it with him so that he was aware of the situation. And um, therefore, I expected maybe a little bit of like, we're going to ease into the week or we're going to ease into like getting back into work, um, getting back into the routine because, you know, I had just died. And I actually had said that to him because we got in a little bit of a, a tiff. He was going back and forth with me at some and I was like, you know, I literally almost just died. And like, it's amazing that I'm even here right now <laughs> in this chair. And at work this week. What's your deal, dude? <laughs> yeah. So um, go back to work. Another part of me rushed back into work because one, I felt like I had to because of what the pressure I was feeling from work um, of like the um, questioning of legitimacy of working while I was deathly ill and um, literally working while I was deathly ill and then having to prove that I was working while I was deathly ill for whatever reason, <laughs> apparently, um, which was, in my opinion, disgusting. Um, if they knew exactly what happened, they would have not asked me to do that. <laughs> I guarantee it. Um, but how was I going to tell them? You know, and why would I tell them? It's my health. It's my information. It's my business. You know, um, not anybody else's. I'm making it your guys' business because it became everybody else's business. Unfortunately, I even had like doctors breaking HIPAA laws and sharing my information with people that they weren't supposed to be sharing it with. Yeah. You guys, it's dirty, 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 dirty stuff. And I've been telling the truth the whole time. Like I said. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, the reason I like jump back in, jumped back into work so fast is because we were moving out of our apartment, which was majority my ex's. The apartment was his, his name on the lease, his name, like it was his, he paid rent 90% of the time, not even, I'd say more than 90, like 95% of the time. And then the last few months I started to help because we were going to be moving into a house together where we were splitting the rent equally, 50-50. His name was signed on the lease. I electronically signed the lease, I believe. If not, it doesn't matter, but I paid half. Um, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not trying to start an argument here, but I paid half um, of this house and I was paying half towards the end to get used to paying that amount and to just start helping because I felt like we had been dating for a while. I wanted to pitch in and I also had the money to do so. I had a full-time job and it just seemed like we were a team I needed to pitch in. So let me pitch in and he let me. So I did. Um, with that being said, at that point in time, the economy already was bad. It was had been bad and it still is bad. Um, but it was also around holiday time. A lot of let goes, a lot of layoffs. A lot of people were getting fired, losing their jobs around this period of time. And um, it was very tight for us at this point in time. And we had some fear of potentially another job being lost and um, not having another income um, to support the dog and to support, um, obviously, just each other, um, the place we're going to be moving into. Um, and so I felt a pressure of going right back into work to hopefully ease that and to still have um, 
like some money coming in for us so that if there was a break where only one of us was working, there was still a consistent job and a consistent income. And I didn't want to lose my job. <laughs> and it seemed like I was going to because I almost died. <laughs> um, anyways, so that's why I jumped in so fast again is because I felt the pressure that I had to for multiple reasons. Um, and yeah, I'd say like it didn't start to spiral like very fast, but like I said about work is that I started to get questioned. My supervisor started to insert himself into that situation. Um, he naturally was put into it because like I said, I had to over communicate with him about the situation when it was happening because it was like, again, like I said, so bizarre. I wanted to be clear, concise, honest with him because it was the truth. It was what was happening and I was going to be out of work <laughs> for a little bit and I wasn't feeling well. And he's my supervisor and I'm pretty sure that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so I don't know why. Whatever. Um, but work would end up just turning into like explaining why I was behaving the way that I was, like why I was working the way that I was, why like I was explaining myself to people all the time because I think people were like interested in the shitstorm, unfortunately. And I didn't know that I didn't owe people an explanation. So I would just spend like all my days over explaining it to people. And then thousands of narratives get out there and thousand opinions. And then it gets messy. And then it gets, I didn't even know what my opinion was. I didn't even know what the story was. I didn't even know what the fuck was going on because I had a thousand voices in my head and around me telling me a thousand other different things about what happened to me other than me, the victim and the person who experienced it myself. <laughs> so yeah. That was that. And let's get into the medications and the hallucinating on the couch. <laughs> like I said in a few episodes ago, that was the reference that I was saying earlier in this episode. I said that uh, last episode or the episode before, but let's get into the medications and that night and where we have pieced together as a family. Um, it went wrong and we are correct. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, cleared my cleared my throat right as I clicked record. If you've been listening and if you've followed me for a little bit now, you know that I've been struggling with my physical health for as long as I can remember at this point. That's actually a stretch. I've been struggling with my physical health since 20... Yeah, I'd say 2019. And it's very interesting because 2019 is when um, it technically shows that I started forming my <laughs> – it is situations and circumstances that I started forming my eating disorder, which therefore means 2019 is also a point in time where I started experiencing trauma. I was in a very unhealthy relationship. I also <clears throat> have been stalked <laughs> and was yep, – Oh, I'm not talking about that on the podcast. Um, I was already experiencing traumatizing things, but I wasn't um, like coping with them and just putting them away. And I now am a firm believer that the trauma that I have experienced and maybe didn't know that I experienced 2019 to now has manifested itself in my body and 
deteriorated it. And um, like it's true, um, trauma eats you from the inside out and it can kill you. It can shut down your organs. It can it can do crazy things to your body. So um, it's very interesting when I say 2019 is when I started having problems with my physical health because that's exactly when um, a lot of my like situational um, traumatic events that you would never forget, um, things that shape your life happened and started happening. Um, so yeah, very interesting. But I've been struggling with my physical health since um, then. And I've had multiple diagnoses across the board from many different parts of the healthcare industry. Um, I'll start first with, I always, oh my gosh, can you guys believe that girls poop? (laughs) I had IBS. I say had because I got over that shit. Can you imagine? And no pun intended. (laughs) No pun intended. But can you guys believe girls poop? They do. (laughs) It's just a fact they do. And this one was pooping a lot. I had IBS <laughs> so bad, you guys. So bad. And I mean, it was bad because it like literally anything I ate strayed through me, which didn't help with the anorexia either. We had to get that shit in check. And hence why I'm over it now because I figured out how to control that shit. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, I was diagnosed in... I want to say it was like around 2019 as well with anxiety-induced IBS. And so it just meant it was like situational. When my stress was high, um, literally like my stomach would eat it itself and things wouldn't settle and I would shit my pants every time I ate anything. Literally. (laughs) Literally. Not shit my pants, but like, you know, IBS is IBS. You shit your pants. So I get diagnosed with that and I get prescribed for that. Um a prescription called nortriptyline. I don't remember the dosage I was on at this point because I'm not on it anymore and I have not been on it for a little while now, a few months. Um, But I do remember when I was prescribed this medicine, um, my doctor telling me that this specific prescription had been used in the past as an antidepressant, but in the dosage that I was taking it, it, it couldn't act like that. And it wouldn't act like that, but like they just have to tell people that or something, or he just was telling me that. I don't know. And anyway, I start taking this medicine and I immediately like with time, obviously it wasn't like the next day I was like, oh, I'm starting to feel sad because I'm taking this medicine. No, like I wasn't taking anything at this point. This I think was the first prescription I started to take for my physical health. Um, I wasn't taking anything. And so I started taking it and with a few weeks, I started to feel really like lethargic and sad and emotional and like things that I wasn't at that point in time. Um, And I remember having a follow up with them and being like, hey, this is happening. And I feel like the only correlation, I'm not depressed. (laughs) Like I'm not, I am only anxious. I have only have been anxious for a while. (laughs) I, the only correlation can be that I started this medicine. Is there something we can do about it? And they told me it wasn't that medicine, but we can take the dosage down. So did that, stayed on that from 2019 until literally this February. Yeah. So a few years I was on that. And then 
right around like a few months later in the fall, early winter, I was diagnosed with Raynaud's and I started getting testing done for autoimmune diseases. Um, autoimmune diseases, the type that Selena Gomez has, or yeah, has lupus. Um, that's what an autoimmune disease is. There's a lot of them, but lupus is an autoimmune disease. And autoimmune diseases run in our family. My sister Ashley actually has lupus. Um, she has systemic lupus. Um, and so there's two types of lupus, systemic and discoid. And discoid is the type on your skin, so you get like rashes and welts. Systemic is the type that attacks your organs and um, the way that your body functions. So yeah, it's really scary. It Autoimmune disease essentially means that your body is like attacking itself from the inside out and your um, immune system is incredibly low. Is like I feel like the easiest way to describe an autoimmune disease and there's a lot of different autoimmune diseases. So Raynaud's technically is one. It's like a, for me, a minor one. Um, and my case is minor and I te- I don't think I have Raynaud's anymore, low key, because I got diagnosed um, <sighs> symptomatically, not like it wasn't like a blood test. It was symptomatically, but given the development of anorexia after and how your circulation is bad um, when you're anorexic. And I didn't know I was anorexic back then. Part of me wonders if I just was anorexic and I didn't know and I had bad circulation and it just was diagnosed as Raynaud's. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but I get diagnosed with Raynaud's. <laughs> and for those of you, let's look up Raynaud's. You guys know what IBS is. A lot of people do not know what Raynaud's is. And I make it funny a lot of the time. And in the winter, I say I'm nodding. I'm, oh, how embarrassing. I just nodded in the grocery store because Raynaud's is you lose um, circulation in your fingers, in your digits, in your fingers and toes. And like some people have to get fingers and toes amputated because they're Raynaud's. Um, but literally like it'll be regular flesh color of your fingers and then the top will be like a corpse. And if you've seen me in the winter, my hands and feet, I look like a corpse. So maybe I do actually have Raynaud's, but I know how to take care of it now. So, and I'm not medicated for it, but they put me on medication. They put me on um, essentially like a blood thinner. But let's look up Raynaud's seats. This is from Mayo Clinic. And Mayo Clinic, if you're listening, please let me into your rheumatology department or please respond to me for frick's sake. You let me get into the application process. You told me you'd get back to me and then you never did. And I followed up with you several times. It's so rude. And I need the help. Listen to me talking about my health like this and autoimmune diseases right now. Anyway, <sighs> Mayo Clinic says about Raynaud's. <clears throat> Raynaud's disease causes some areas of the body, such as fingers and toes, to feel numb and cold in response to cold temperatures or stress. In Raynaud's disease, smaller arteries that supply blood to the skin narrow. Um, they didn't finish that sentence. Um, this limits blood flow to affected areas, which is called vasospasm. And so, um, yeah. It's basically in cold temperatures or with 
circumstances, um, your blood supply is affected in those areas. So, yep. Um, they'll start to feel numb. Yep. So anyway, that's right now it's, and they put me on, um, amlodipine for my Raynaud's at 19. And amlodipine is to treat high blood pressure in adults and children. It's a calcium channel blocker. Um, and I don't know anything about medication, so I'm not saying anything. But my personal stance on medication now is I am a holistic medicine queen. If you need the medication, obviously take it. But I think, do know that everything is a business. And unfortunately, from my experience in the medical industry in the last few months, I have noticed that the, especially pharmaceutical, we've been known, but it is so incredibly like just a business to them. Um, a lot of them, I'm not going to blanket statement it, but it is just a business to a lot of them. And you do not need at least in my situation and in a lot of people that I've talked to, family, friends who have experienced the same exact thing as I have but have not talked about it, um, unfortunately, are written scripts for things that they don't need, truly. And then they have health issues down the line because of being put on that script and they just paid for it or insurance paid for it, whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying though? Like, it's, it was not needed. It was a financial thing and it was a now my health is costing me for it thing. Did I need it really? Did I need it? Or did you just want to make some money? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not, and I don't know the answer. But so, yeah, um, at this point, 19 on nortriptyline and amlodipine. Have IBS, anxiety induced IBS, and Raynaud's diagnosed. Nothing else diagnosed at this point, mental health wise or eating disorder wise. And that's where we're at with the backtracking and medications. Let's get into when I got diagnosed with anxiety and when I was prescribed Prozac for my anxiety. Yeah. So <laughs> the Prozac, the anxiety medicine. <clears throat> I got put on that in November, I believe, October, November of last year. Um, and I was put on it because I asked to be put on it. I asked to be put on um, something for my anxiety once I was diagnosed with anxiety. Um, officially, I was like, listen, I have been raw dogging my anxiety. I didn't get diagnosed with anxiety until last year, <clears throat> but I've been living with anxiety. I'm confident for my entire life. Um, I used to when I played. Um, golf in the summer. Like I remember being 16, 17 in NJGT, Nebraska, Nebraska junior golf tour. And I would do this during high school tournaments too. I'd get so worked up and so nervous about golf tournaments. I would throw, I'd get physically sick. I'd get throw up before tournaments. I'd throw up in the car on the way to tournaments. Um, I'd work myself up so bad but I've actually been talking to my parents about this because the conversation of mental health has gotten really big in our house because this crisis and this – the crisis may have to be split into two episodes, you guys. I haven't been messing around when I said that a lot has happened. I haven't even begun 
to dip into like this year. And <laughs> we're already a little over an hour on this episode. I got to stop here soon. So it's going to be a part twoer. Um, but the conversation of mental health has gotten really prominent in our household. It didn't used to be prominent. Um, I have had a lot of discussions with police <laughs> with, unfortunately, not for any reason that I needed to be talking to police. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been talking to police, doctors, nurses, just people about how there's just a generational gap that I truly believe like it, it can be, there can be a bridge over the gap. Like if there's an opportunity to be, um, have the older generation be a little bit more educated on what it means to be mentally ill and that it doesn't mean that you're a psychopath or in that case or a menace to society or a danger to society or harmful to society. Are there cases where there are people who are mentally ill and unfortunately so mentally ill that they are? Yes. Um, but I think there's a really bad connotation with people being mentally ill. And I also think there's a lot of um, people diagnosing people with things that aren't doctors, like just family members diagnosing people with things that they think that they have based off of what the internet says or what friends say or what Jeremy's mom down the street said that her son had. Like it's ridiculous and no one knows anything about it except for the professionals don't even know anything about it <laughs> in Nebraska at least. Seriously, they know stuff about depression, but they don't know stuff about anxiety and I'm going to get into that with my story and that may be in part two. That's the hardest story for me to tell, which is unfortunate because this part of the story I'm talking about how I was essentially overdosed by the medical industry. <laughs> so very unfortunate that part two, I think, is the worst um, because this is still very bad. <laughs> but any whoosies. I asked to get put on Prozac. I literally was, like I said, a raw dogging. And I'm saying that like, seriously, anxiety my whole life. I didn't know I had it. Never talked about anxiety really. Um, never knew anything about it. Never knew anything. I always, I was diagnosed with depression when I was in middle school. I was put on antidepressants when I was in middle school. I have been there, done that, but I didn't know much about anxiety other than I knew friends who had it. And again, with the household discussion is that my parents were talking about how they remember like being like, she is very on edge. She is very stressed out all the time. She is like easily, um, like I can be when I'm stressed and when I am in like high stress situations, um, like temperamental when I'm not usually temperamental, like my normal personality is not that way. Um, and that is anxiety, like a hundred percent. And the way that I behaved was a hundred percent anxiety. And they see that now and they know that now, which is awesome that they've grown enough to see that, but it's taken some really unfortunate events to get there <laughs> on both sides. Um, so yeah. But I get asked to be put on Prozac, not specifically Prozac, but just an anti-anxiety, um, some something, something, because I was <laughs> just not good. Um, and I just stuttered over my words. <laughs> so, so, something. <laughs> no, give me something. And I got referred to by my therapist um, because she's holistic. She does not write scripts and she's just a therapist, I believe. I believe. 
I need to double check my work, but she doesn't write scripts. So she uh, referred me to a PA and this PA and I did telehealth one time, one time. And I can't like possibly like give my health history in a 15, 30 minute telehealth um, discussion, mental and physical health. I cannot. Um, I also have had some pretty bizarre things happen to me, like my in my health journey, my rheumatologist unfortunately passed away. It was the only rheumatologist I thought stood up for me in my health. Um, he had cancer and he passed and I never found another rheumatologist, hence the wanting to go to Mayo. Yeah. <laughs> so like just bizarre stuff that it's like you tell it to somebody with a I don't even know if this is the thing, but like a naked ear, somebody, an outsider who has nothing to do with me, knows nothing about me. You'd listen to the things that I say. You'd listen to the stories that, that I say and people do and probably think I'm a psychopath, a crazy maniac because it doesn't sound true, but it's true. <laughs> it's my life and it's true. And I want to make a documentary. I've been saying that for a while now. Originally, I've been saying I wanted to make a documentary about my eating disorder recovery, and I still do. I would think we could mix them both in the same, but like, oh my gosh, I have documented and followed my last three months so closely. We could make a documentary, and it's so juicy. And I kept high spirits in comedy the entire time. Was it a little manic? Was it a little crazy? Absolutely, because I was traumatized and in fight or flight and manic. Absolutely, I was because my brain chemistry was a uh, mm, changed <laughs> and I was in fight or flight and traumatized. So of course there was a little bit of mania going on. You guys, okay, give me a fucking break about that. I've never done it before. <laughs> it was, a, I hope, one time thing. So let's <clears throat> recenter, regroup, why is she telling us about all the things she's ever been diagnosed with? Why is she telling us about the medications that she takes? Why in this video does she have mascara on her nose? Why? Because we're going to circle back and say, this is what I was taking. This is also what happened with my Tamiflu prescription. This is why I believe, and I'm correct, I was overdosing and near death in December. I was on at this point, the only thing that I had taken out of what I have previously described of the list of nortriptyline for my IBS, amlodipine for my Raynaud's, Prozac for my anxiety, Tamiflu at this point for my situational and circumstantial, obviously not forever, um, flu, influenza A. The only thing that I was not taking anymore was amlodipine. And I stopped taking that. I have mascara in my eye. I'm sorry, everybody. I stopped taking that um, like a while before. So it was not a new thing that I was not taking it. It wasn't like a body shock. It was discussed with my doctor too. Like like I said, my situation with my Raynaud's is not horrible. It's seasonal and it's kind of you watch it yourself and I didn't want to be on that medication anymore. So I stopped taking it when the weather started getting warmer and my Raynaud's started getting better because the weather was warmer. So that's what that was. But anyway, I have the flu 
And I had given my list of medications to people, as you do, as you're supposed to in um, situations like this. And I am actively taking, at this point in December, nortriptyline, Prozac, and Tamiflu. And then I also oddly keep getting Tamiflu prescriptions refilled for me when I only needed one and no script was written for more or I didn't request a refill. And then also something that I thought was confusing personally and something that I kind of berated them for (laughs) was I was on Tamiflu at this point in time. So Tamiflu, F-L-U, as it is spelled, doi. I'm getting somewhere though. The like drug name, the drug name of Prozac, Prozac is the generic name for my anxiety medicine. The drug name is Fluoxetine. And when they fill my prescription, like even today, I just went and got it filled and picked it up. There in pharmaceuticals, um, abbreviation for Fluoxetine is just F-L-U. And so I kept getting in a mix of Walmart Pharmacy using a third party to send out important texts to people about prescriptions that they're picking up and paying for that they survive off of, which maybe be a little bit more careful about the third party you're using. Maybe have a little bit better, more, I don't know, or better organization when it comes to medicine. (laughs) I don't know. But I'm getting these messages that cross like, okay, you have Tamiflu ready, but you also have fluoxetine ready. And as somebody who doesn't know, pharmaceuticals, I'm like, okay, why do they keep calling in flu stuff for me? And at this point, I'm running out of my fluoxetine, my Prozac, I ran out of it, which you're not supposed to just cold turkey stop any mental health medicine. I'm running out of it. I'm overdosing. And with research, we'll pull it up. You absolutely should not, which I don't know why nobody uh, saw this in the medical industry or medical field that was prescribing me them. Um, you are not supposed to cross and take, um, nortriptyline and Prozac together. It can cause mania and change your brain chemistry. (laughs) Yes. But I was on both and Tamiflu. (laughs) Yep. And Advil and Tylenol and cough drops and albuterol. And I was still and am still anorexic. And at that point was not even a full year into recovery, not at a healthy weight restoration point um, with all of this in my system. Therefore, yes, I'm correct. I almost died. And I do remember sitting there in the moment of this happening, remembering, like I said, the couch seat I'm on. I was creating things on my iPad. I was up. I couldn't sleep. I was working (laughs) on personal stuff. Um, But I would also like dip into working for work because I thought that I was like feeling completely normal which is what's so scary. Um, And nothing that I was making was making sense, obviously. But to me, and it's so crazy, I still read it now and I remember exactly what I was trying to say. (laughs) But like the only way that I could communicate in this point in time, I was mute. I, because I was overdosing and because I had all these um, prescriptions crossing in my system, in my bloodstream, in my brain, I could not communicate to people. Um... I couldn't get words out of my mouth the way that I wanted them to communicate. I couldn't get sentences out of my mouth the way I wanted them to communicate. It was even hard for me to talk (laughs) at some points. It was hard for me to remember anything at some points. 
um, truly, even up to this year, like last month. My memory is like just now starting to come back short term. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and here comes the – I'm talking about something that's dramatic, so I'm buffering. Um, I don't remember exactly what I was saying with that. Medications on all of those. Getting the confusing text from Walmart. Them, yeah. I don't know. That was that, truly. Oh, I was creating stuff that didn't make sense to anybody else because obviously I was unwell. Um, and I still have those things. And looking at those things like is traumatizing to me now. Like I literally you I feel the my heart go into my stomach when I see the things that I was making. And some of those things, like all of those things, they're not bad things and they're not like inappropriate things, they're not scary things, they're not like gory near end of life creating things. No, it wasn't like that. It was like still like marketing, advertising, creating things, but like it wasn't me. And there's like some stuff that like like I was just writing and it's all true, but it's just like I don't know why I was even writing that and I don't know what made me even think of that and that person or that place or that situation or why then or why in this moment and why did I think of everything under the moon and sun possibly to talk about while I was actively dying? <laughs> yeah. And so it's very interesting. It's a very interesting story, you guys. Interesting is not the word I want to use. It's a very sad and horrible story. That's what happened to me in December. I been, obviously didn't know that was the case when it happened. I did know that I was near death. Um, and ever since then, I have valued life in an incredibly different way than I ever have before. Um, I also incredibly value people in a way that I never have before. Um, if you are annoyed about me reaching out to you after we had a falling out or after we didn't talk anymore and I keep trying to reach out to you, it's because um, I realized how short life is. And if I'm reaching out to you and I want to talk to you, if you don't want to talk to me, tell me you don't want to talk to me. Boundaries you know, whatever there and I get it. But if I'm reaching out to you and I'm trying to be your friend right now or talk to you or I was in the past three months, um, it was because you made an impact on me in some sort of way in my life and life is too fucking short. And in the last three months, starting in December, I've been near death a few different times. And therefore, I have no shame in we weren't good or you did me incredibly wrong or vice versa. I did you incredibly wrong. I have no shame in reapproaching you and or I have no shame in, hey, I'm not going to give up on this because you're valuable to me. So who cares? Like it's not embarrassing to show love and appreciation and have some comedy with it. But that is part one. It's heavy. It's deep. Let's take a deep breath together in through the nose, out through the mouth. Seriously. It was a lot and my test, my test, my chest is tightening. I'm doing it for you guys though. I'm doing it for the people who also feel like they don't have a voice and have experienced things similar to me. Okay, here we go with the breathing. You're going to go in through your nose and out of your mouth. Okay, ready? Yeah. So if you hold your breath, if you go in through your nose and hold it for a few seconds, 
and then release it, it's really good for anxiety. That is a really good breathing tactic for anxiety. There's a lot of different breathing methods and breathing exercises for anxiety. And your girl, of course, knows about all of them. All of them. (laughs) But anyway, we will get into part two. Thank you for listening. Um, If you've been through something similar, I'm so sorry. Um, If you are the people who took care of me, I'm so sorry for putting you on the chopping block. (laughs) You deserve it. Um, And cheese curd out.